Oh, no, he didn't. For those of you that may not know, that is an expression of awe, amazement, revulsion. It can be used to describe something that was incredible, that was not anticipated, but it can also be used to describe someone being highly offended. And if you think about it, both of those sides, something that is awesome and inspiring, something that is beyond words, incredible, or something that is absolutely revolting. If you think about that, really that kind of sums up the relationship that Jesus had with people when He was walking the earth. When He was performing miracles, when He was uh, forgiving people of their sins, when He was associating with lost folks, when He was hanging on the cross, when He was resurrected. Really, if you look at the life of Jesus, it really didn't matter so much of what He was doing because there were usually those two responses. Maybe not in the same story. Uh, They may not be highlighted um, in each story individually. But what we find is that the poor, the common folk, heard Him gladly, the Bible says. The oppressed were glad to be able to hear that their burdens could be released. But the religious leaders, the scribes and the Pharisees and the Sadducees who often wanted to trap him, who did not believe that he was largely who he said he was, they were often revolted by the words that he would say and the actions that he did. He was and is a fascinating character. He is an incredible example for each one of us. And in our life, I know that as many of us strive to follow Jesus, there are times where we Uh, we, We may look for people to be excited and people to be happy, but the reminder this morning is that with Jesus, when He did what the Father told Him to do, when He was walking in the will of God, when he was proclaiming the kingdom, when he was uh, blessing people through various ways, it was not always responded to appropriately. It was not always the awesome, but often the revulsion that people had concerning Jesus. I want you to see this morning, if you would, open with me. There are two scriptures that I want us to be able to focus on this morning. One is in Luke chapter 5, and the other one is in Luke 19. And I know that there are... There are many accounts in the Gospels where Jesus associated with some sketchy folks. By the way, aren't you glad that He associated with some sketchy folks? I am. You know why? I'm a sketchy folk. I think every one of us, if we're going to be honest with ourselves, would find ourselves in that category. Two stories, relatively similar, Um, but in both of these stories, the reason why I chose Luke chapter 5 and Luke chapter 19 to talk about Jesus and His scandalous associations is because He gives a defense of His actions in both Luke 5 and in Luke 19. Luke chapter 5, in His account of Jesus' life, He backs us up here. This is early on in Jesus' ministry. He is beginning now to draw His disciples together. He's beginning to call them to Himself. And in Luke chapter 5, verse 27, it says, After these things, he, Jesus, went out and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax office. And he said to him, Follow me. So he left all, rose up, and followed Jesus. 
And then Levi gave him a great feast in his own house, and there were a great number of tax collectors and others who sat down with them. And their scribes and their Pharisees complained against his disciples, saying, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Jesus answered and said to them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Let's jump over to Luke 19, verse 1. Then Jesus entered and passed through Jericho. Now behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus who was a chief tax collector, and he was rich. And he sought to see who Jesus was, but could not because of the crowd, for he was of short stature. So he ran ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree for the Lord to see. I had to. For he was going to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and saw him and said to him, Zacchaeus, make haste and come down, for today I must stay at your house. So he made haste and came down and received him joyfully. But when they saw it, they, you all know who they are, they all complained, saying, He has gone to be a guest with a man who is a sinner. Then Zacchaeus took, stood and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, I give half of my goods to the poor, and if I have taken anything from anyone by false accusation, I restore fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because he also is the son of Abraham. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. It did not matter if it was calling a tax collector to be a follower. It didn't matter if on his way out of Jericho he went to a man who was a known sinner, Zacchaeus, as a chief tax collector. It did not matter if all of the religious leaders came and said, we have this woman taken in adultery. The law says we stone her. What do you say? You remember that story when Jesus came to the defense of the woman taken in adultery in the very act and He turned to those who were accusing of her and said, He that is without sin, let him cast the first stone. They all turned and walked away. You might remember in John chapter 4, Jesus did not have to go through Samaria, but the Bible said He must go through Samaria. And there in Samaria, that village where no other religious elite would have gone, in that place, he sat down by a well and ministered to a woman whom nobody else would have ministered to. In Matthew chapter 11, verse 19, Jesus is talking to the religious leaders and he actually shares with them one of the accusations that they had made on him. See, they were making an accusation calling Jesus a friend of sinners, friend of tax collectors and sinners. You see, they were upset about that. I don't believe that the tax collectors and sinners were too upset. In each one of those occasions, there was an oh no, he didn't moment. I want you to consider for a moment, for those of you that may not be aware of that relationship of tax collectors and the religious folks of the day. Much like us, we don't care much for tax collectors. I don't know that in anybody's heart except someone who collects taxes. Don't get me wrong, it's not your fault. We just don't like paying taxes generally. Those people in that day worked for Rome. You see, Rome was the overseeing governing body in Israel at that time. And they would hire people, and oftentimes these Jews would go to work 
as a tax collector. So as the people would come through, there would be this booth in which the tax collector would receive the, the, the money that was owed to the government. And they would take it out and the people would come up and they would look and the tax collector could say, okay, what's your name? Your name is John Smith. Okay, John Smith. I'm gonna, or Smithstein will do it. Um, and he looks down and he says, okay, there, there you are. And in reality, it might show that they owed $10. But the tax collector could look at them and say, all right, you owe $20. So John Smith would take out his $20 and hand it to the tax collector. The tax collector then would make change, put 10 in for Rome, and keep 10 for himself. They were notorious in that time, not just for working for pagan Rome, but for their love of money and charging more to the people and keeping some for themselves. So when, when Luke records that Zacchaeus was a tax collector and he was very rich, that tells me that that dude knew, that dude did his job in that way very well. He had swindled a lot of folks. And yet here in this story, in the beginning of the ministry and towards the end of the ministry, almost like two glorious bookends, we have Jesus going to those whom the religious elite could not stand. They literally put tax collectors on the same level of moral, uh, moral wrongdoing as prostitutes. They did not see a difference. For them, it was a moral equivalent. If you were going to work for Rome and steal people's money, you are on the same moral level as a prostitute of the day. And Jesus shocks the world. Shocked the region at that moment when he walks over in Luke 5 to this booth where this man was working named Levi. And he goes up to Levi and he says, follow me. We know that Levi, the moment he left that tax collector booth, he immediately began being a follower of Jesus Christ. One of the closest of the followers of Christ. You see, not... So surprising, I guess, would it be that Matthew would have relieved his burdens and known that God still cared and that God loved him and that God could work with him. But even greater than that was that Jesus was not afraid to be associated with a man whom the world deemed as unjust. Jesus was not worried about his reputation being tarnished because of the people he hung out with. And then he comes to Zacchaeus. This big parade is going down through the street, Main Street, Jericho. By the way, this happens, this is the last time Jesus will pass through Jericho in that way. Because after he leaves Jericho, he finds blind Bartimaeus in the road between Jericho and Jerusalem. He heals Bartimaeus there, and then he goes to Jerusalem to the cross. This would be the last moment Jesus would pass through Jericho. Obviously, Zacchaeus didn't know that. But no doubt he had heard of the miracles. He had heard of the words. No doubt he had heard of all the wonderful, fantastic things that Christ had done. And here comes Jesus. Word spreads through the town quickly. They form this little, little, little row, and at least I imagine it in my mind, as he's walking down through the streets. And Zacchaeus, because he is short, he can't see over the crowd. He's like your eight-year-old son at the parade. You have to hoist him up and put him on your shoulders so he can see. Obviously, Zacchaeus probably didn't have many friends that would be willing to hoist him up on their shoulders. So he did the next best thing. He saw where the parade route was going and ran up ahead of it and climbed up in a tree. And his great motivation, he just wanted to see this man. He just wanted to see the miracle worker Jesus. He just wanted to catch a glimpse. So much so that he would climb that sycamore tree 
for the purpose of being able to look down at him. I want you to consider three things this morning. First is this. Why did Jesus? We know that he was a friend of sinners. We know it's recorded many occasions where he ministered to those whom no one else would minister to. But I want to ask why? Why did he do it? And we're not left to question it. I mean, it's not for me to say, well, I speculate that this is the reason why Jesus did it. No, in both Luke 5 and Luke 19, he tells us why. He, he pulls back the curtain and says, this is why I'm doing what I'm doing. And there are two reasons. Go back to Luke 5 with me for just a moment. Notice verse 32. If this is not underlined in your Bible, it should be. If there is not a mark made on this verse, we ought to do it. In verse 31, Jesus answered and said to them, this is, his, this is His answer to the accusation of why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Those words are powerful. The religious leaders are saying, I don't understand. You're going to the, the IRS convention here in Matthew's house. He, he is now following you and he's brought all of, his, all of his gross tax collector friends. None of us would be there for Matthew, let alone all of his buddies. And there you are, Jesus, just chucking it up with them. You're having a good time. You're laughing with them. You're enjoying their time. Why do you do that? They couldn't wrap their minds around it. And Jesus says why. He tells them, the people who are healthy don't need a doctor. It's the ones who are sick. Think about that word for a moment. Sick. He's talking not in the physical sense, but in the spiritual sense that those people were spiritually sick and the disease was sin. Jesus said, this is spiritual triage, folks. I'm going to the people who are the sickest. And when He walks over there, He says, I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. They were sick. That's why. What does He say? In Luke 19, what reason, what great reason does He give us? Verse 9, today salvation has come to this house because He also is the Son of Abraham. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. Think about these three words. Lost, sinner, and lost. Excuse me, sick, sinner, and lost. Guys, if we want to have if we want to be like Christ, I think this first point is incredibly important. Jesus knew something that other people didn't. You can jot that down. Jesus knew what others didn't. He could look at the religious people of that time who were shunning the tax collector. They were shunning the prostitutes. They were shunning those who did not meet what they believed to be the moral uh, high ground of life. They only wanted to minister to the good people, it appears. They only wanted all the attention to be on them. But yet Jesus says, I'm going to go to the lost. I'm going to go to the sick. I'm going to go to the needy. That's who I'm going to go to. Jesus knew something that we didn't. If you think about that call to 
to Matthew. It was a relatively simple call. Two words in our English language. Follow me. Two simple words. And yet so powerful. That for whatever reason, we're only left to speculate. Maybe Matthew had heard him before. Maybe he'd had a previous encounter or encountered someone who had had an encounter with Christ. Whatever reason, Matthew leaves this lucrative job of tax collecting to go live like a peasant with Jesus Christ for the rest of his life. He comes to Zacchaeus. He stands at the base of that tree. You see, Jesus knew where Zacchaeus was. And I believe it didn't stop there. Jesus just didn't know the literal location of Zacchaeus. I believe Jesus knew what was going on in here. Jesus is God. Therefore, he possesses all the attributes and nature of God. God is all-knowing. And I believe when Jesus stood at the base of that tree and he said, Zacchaeus, come down, because today I have to be in your house. I believe what Jesus knew was going on in that guy's heart was probably the fact that he had very few, if any, real friends. He'd probably heard the whispers as he would walk down the road that there's Zacchaeus, he steals money, he's a tax collector. Probably, probably understood the shame and the guilt that was laying in his heart for his occupation and how it was considered. I believe Jesus didn't just know their heart, he knew their failures. He knew where they were. But I don't believe that those are all of the reasons, all of the things that Jesus knew. You see, there's nobody in the world that would have known their end better than him. I've often said before that if God were to roll back and show us just a corner of the horrors of hell, we would not just want to think we're saved, we would want to know that we're saved. And beyond that, we wouldn't just want to know that we're saved, we would want to know everybody that we love and care about is saved as well. You see, Jesus knew their location. He knew their heart. He knew their guilt. He knew what they were feeling. He knew their, where they were literally at in life. But I believe He also knew what their end was going to be. Jesus knew something that others didn't. Nobody would have had a, a better understanding of hell than God. And I believe if we have number one, number two should follow. If we as believers know what others don't, the value of a soul, the horrors of hell, and the depth of grace of Jesus, if we know what others don't, I believe it is going to cause us to go where others won't. If I know what others don't, I'm going to go where other people won't. Why? The Apostle Paul said that the love of Christ compels him. The love of Jesus is not just to be shown to us, but it's to be shown through us. As a sinner saved by grace ourselves, we ought to be so quick in extending that to know that we were teetering over hell, but Christ in His grace said, I love you, I know you have morally failed, I know you are a sinner, and I, my Son has paid for your curse. 
My Son took your debt upon you and to grab us from the very corners of hell about to fall in and to set us over and to give us all of the richest blessings of heaven. How horrible for us to know and to have in our mind the the depth of grace of God, the need of salvation in our life, the value of a human soul, and not tell somebody? Can we truly know those things? Can we truly understand that that a man's soul is so valuable? If you want to know how valuable a man's soul is, look to Calvary. That will tell you just how valuable a soul is. Not a turtle dove. No ox would do. That was God's own Son. I believe one of the reasons we are not, if we are not, more evangelistic in our nature is because we have not allowed these truths to really grab a hold of us, maybe. We may have forgotten the value of a soul. We may have forgotten that the dust may have collected on the grace of God in our minds. We may not be thinking about what, how horrible that end, that destination is for them. And they may go, it may be their own choice, but let us not be silent. Let us share the truth to know what nobody else knows. is going to cause us to go where nobody else is going to go. Because those truths have gripped us. Jesus went where no one else would go. I shared some of them earlier. He went to Samaria and he talked to a woman who had quite a few relation problems in her life. He went up earlier in Luke 5, guys. There was a leper. A leper. No religious leader would have been near a leper. They would not have dared risk being morally unclean, religiously unclean, ceremonially unclean. They would not have gone to that man. And that leper looks at Jesus and he wants to be healed. And you know what Jesus does? He doesn't say, get away from me, start walking, and I'll heal you on the way as he had done with other folks. Not this guy, this leper whom nobody would touch but another leper. In Luke 5, Jesus reached out and touched him. His love. Truly knew no boundaries. He loved the unlovable. He touched the untouchable. Why did he go where no one else would? Because he knew what nobody else knew. Which leads us to a third point. By the way, let me just stress this. When Jesus went into the house of the tax collector, when Jesus reached out to those people who were known as sinners, let me remind you, he went to reach them, not to join them. He, was, he managed to be able to be a, a source of light, a true, holy person in the midst of a dark world. The lifestyle that kept others away actually drew Jesus Christ. Look at the third thing. He didn't just know what others didn't. He didn't just go where others wouldn't. But he did what others can't. You and I... We can't save them. Kind of wish we could. I've heard stories before of Charles Spurgeon walking and talking, and they were going, he was going down a road with a gentleman, and apparently this drunkard had come out of the bar. One of the men with him had looked at him and said, looked at Spurgeon and said, There's one of your converts right there. To which Spurgeon replied, That looks like one of my converts. Because he knew that he doesn't have the power to save both of these men with such little bit of light. Few words. Follow me. 
And he did. And changed his life forever. We have a great debt of gratitude to Matthew. We have a great debt of gratitude to that man sitting in that tax collector booth. He didn't mope in guilt. He didn't question the call of Christ. He realized he was the Messiah. And left that lucrative position, sacrificed it on the altar right there, and got up and never turned back from following Jesus. Zacchaeus. We don't know. We don't know what happened after his life. The Bible is silent after Luke 19 on what happened to him. But even though we don't know biblically what happened to Zacchaeus later in life, what we do know is this, is that that man who had obviously ripped off a lot of people said, you know what? If I've ripped off anybody, I'm willing to pay them back four times the amount that I took. To which Jesus says, truly salvation has come to this place. Both of those men had a tremendous life change. Why? Because Jesus knew what others didn't. He went where others wouldn't. And he did what others couldn't. You and I, when we share Christ, it's not us that saves them. It's not us that gives them the new life. We disciple them. We teach them. We train them. Jesus is the one that saves them. In the fall of 2011, in China, there was a little girl named Wang Yu, two years old, little toddler. She had accompanied her mom into town. And her mom, two different stories were reported. One was that her mom just went into town to shop, but the more widely reported story was that Wang, Lu's, Wang Yu's mom actually worked in a garment factory in China. And because she couldn't afford childcare, she had to take Wang in with her to the garment factory. She'd probably done that many times before. She had worked at that place for a while. But for whatever reason, whether they were shopping or whether her mom was working, Wang Yu had stepped out and gotten away from her mother and walked out into an out, what looks like an alley to us, but is actually a street. And when she walked out into that street, as any toddler would, they don't know what's going on. They don't understand cars. They don't understand uh, the things that are around them. And she stood in the middle of the street. I'm going to go ahead and just, would you, would you put that picture up, please? That's Wang Yu standing in the middle of the street. That van that's coming has plenty of time. It's not traveling far. If asked, I've seen the video multiple times. And that van that's, that's coming right there sees her and does not stop, does not try to go around, but runs her over. Two years old, in the middle of the road, the guy sees her, does not stop, does not move her out of the way, does not go around her. He runs her over. Right across her abdomen. Right here, right around her pelvis. And she lays there as he goes over her with the second round of tires. Now that's horrible. Horrible. And I wish I could stop there. Seventeen people are on video Walking by Wang on the street. Laying there flat out the same place she got ran over. And she's alive. You see her moving. You see her moving her arms. You see her head turning. Seventeen people walked by her. In fact, one other van comes up later and runs over her legs. 
horrible. It's almost too much to watch. That's why I only did the screenshot. Finally, you're watching this video and you're like, somebody, please do something. If you've ever wanted to jump through the TV or jump through the computer screen and grab a hold of a little girl, it was then. People would walk by and see her and go around her like that. Finally, the 18th person comes. Walks over and sees Wang on the ground. Obviously doesn't know who she is. She picks her up. And you're celebrating. You're thinking, yes, finally someone is doing something. And she picks her up. She's going to get care. Someone's going to take her to the doctor. Someone's going to find her mother. But she picks her up, walks her over to that bundle of white things on the side of the screen and sets her down at the base and walks off. If there was ever a description of a sick, lost person, it was right there. I would love to tell you that if that happened here in America, I would would love to tell you that we would race to help that little girl. We wouldn't walk by her, but compassion would fill our hearts. Whether she's our daughter or not, she's somebody's daughter and she has value. We would scoop her up and take her to the hospital as fast as we possibly could. But the truth of the matter is this. That little girl was sick and lost and people saw it and did nothing about it. And if we're going to be honest with ourselves... There are times we do the very same thing spiritually. People are laying in our lives. Run over. They've messed up. They've missed the mark. They're laying there spiritually, beaten and bloody by the world and by their poor decisions. And what do we do? When we encounter these people, what do we do when we're walking down the road and we see them? Do we go up to them out of compassion and offer to help, offer to them the remedy, Jesus Christ? Do we show compassion and befriend them? Or do we do like those 17 other people did and move over and walk on the other side of the street? Let me tell you something. Jesus said, I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. He said, those that are sick are the ones in need of a physician. If we're going, I, I hope that this morning it's not just the people, the biblical account of people being in awe that Jesus would reach out to sinners. I hope that truth grabs a hold of our hearts and we walk out of here today saying, Jesus, I know what others don't and I'm going to go where others won't and I'm going to do what other people can't in Your name. I hope. That is our heart this morning. That we will not allow ourselves to distance ourselves from the very people that Jesus came to save. I... There are two people. These two sides, three sides this morning. Which one best represents you? Are you Zacchaeus up in a tree? Matthew in the tax collector booth? 
Are you the one who's missed the mark? You've sinned and you know it. You don't need me to tell you. You walk around with guilt and shame. Good news, Jesus came to save you. He came to start a relationship with you. He already did all the work. He died on the cross for your sins so that you would not have to spend a moment without Him in this life or in eternity. He wants you to turn your life over to Him. He wants you to say, Jesus, I'm separated from you, but today I know that you died on the cross for me. On the third day, you were raised again. Days later, you ascended back to heaven and you're coming back soon. And today, you've rescued me from my guilt and shame. Today, you have eased my burdens. Maybe that's you. We're going to have a response time. And if that's you, I've got guys that are going to be ready to share that with you this morning. Share how you can walk out of here knowing you're a believer. But let me ask you something. Are you the one that's distanced yourself from those who really need it? Are you the one that's been so worried about your great reputation that you're not going to reach out to and be seen with lost folk? Has it been so long? Have we been saved so long that we've forgotten what it's like to be lost? This morning, you may have a personal decision to make. You may trust Christ. You may rededicate your life. This morning, you may say, God, today, it's enough. Today's the day I start afresh with you. God, I repent for all the people that I have, have not given thought to, have not reached out to. Today, I'm a new man. Today, I know what no one else knows, and I'm going to go where no one else goes. Maybe it's, a, maybe it's baptism. Maybe you saw those two men this morning following Christ in the first step of obedience. And today's the day that you know I need to be baptized. Maybe you want to be a part of this church as we reach out to the lost in this community and across the world to the very best of our abilities. I believe not one of us can leave. I hope we would none of us would leave without making the proper decision that Christ has placed on our heart.